This is Dan Fagella, and you're listening to AI in Industry. This month, we've been focused on the theme of gaining a competitive advantage with artificial intelligence in business. And there have been a number of different approaches that our previous guests have brought to bear. Um, one that we have not heard thus far is taking advantage of which actual AI capabilities have the most traction today. Looking at what's working in NLP, looking at what, what's working at the level of the science and being able to wield those tools first as initial opportunity areas in business. That's more or less what's being advised by our guest this week on the AI and Industry Podcast. Uh, Abigail Hing-Huen has a long background in both law and tech out in Palo Alto. Uh, she's a graduate of Columbia University of Law School, uh, and she's also the co-chair of Fairness, Transparency, and Accountability Expert Group at the uh, Partnership on AI in San Francisco. Uh, Abigail speaks with us about which AI technologies seem most promising and how business leaders can think about those technologies that have existing traction, that have a lot of good precedence of use, and wield them fruitfully to gain an advantage in business. If you're thinking about getting started with AI in business and you're considering what does it take to enable NLP, what does it take to get machine learning off the ground, then make sure to download our Beginning with AI report. This is our free PDF report, not to be confused with our, our larger paid report on a similar topic. Uh, but our Beginning with AI report is a free download, which is available at emerge.com. That's E-M-E-R-J dot com slash B-E-G-1. So that stands for Begin B-E-G-1. So emerge.com slash B-E-G-1. We're thinking about actually adopting any of the technologies that Abigail is talking about or just want to know what it would take to actually do so. That would be a great place to start. We've just wrapped up that resource, and I hope that many of you enjoy it if you're able to download it. So without further ado, let's hop right in. This is Abigail Hingwen here on AI and Industry. So, Abigail, uh, first question to just kind of kick things off. I'm interested in your take on how you see AI as being able to be used as a competitive advantage. Clearly, VCs are investing in this stuff for a reason. Companies are leveraging it for a reason. What do you see as kind of the competitive edge for AI? So, in some industries, it may not actually matter for a while. Um, there are a lot of industries that are solving a lot of the problems without AI. And I've, you know, you've heard it. I've heard it even on your podcast. Folks say that AI is a problem looking for solutions to solve. But that said, um, there are a lot of great minds focused on solving problems with AI. So I think the big ones right now are you know, efficiency gains, making everything faster and more immediate for better user experiences. Uh, recommendation algorithms are getting better and better. Um, more personalization. Uh, we're moving into more interesting territories with like natural language processing, um, visual recognition, um, reinforcement learning. And there's all kinds of like great technology, great research being done in the field and um, recognizing like where these things are going to be applicable to your field is really important. Yeah. And I guess, I guess, as you had mentioned, it'll be different sector per sector. You know, I completely agree with you. I think if you run a, you know, uh, if you run two restaurants that serve fried chicken, you probably don't need to hire data scientists right now. Um, if, if you even have a 200-person manufacturing company, it's extremely questionable as to kind of where and how much AI would be relevant. Um, you talked about efficiency, so maybe we can poke into that. I know some folks would kind of think of efficiencies like, well, you know, um, uh, maybe that isn't a competitive advantage because, sure, everybody's going to spend a little bit less time in the monotonous customer service stuff on the you know, uh, monotonous internal enterprise search stuff on the, you know, I don't know, insert anything else you could save a little bit of time on. Um, do you see ways where 
efficiencies could be real kind of stepwise improvements, real ways to kind of create a competitive moat um, to pull away from from competitors, as opposed to just kind of a lifting of all, you know, a lifting of the tide, if you will, um, as, as kind of everybody gets a little faster as AI becomes normal? Or, or do you see a kind of deeper edge to that? So I, I think it's a great question. I, you know, and I think again, it depends. It's like actually a question about industries, like where, where, which industries are more ripe for exploitation of efficiency gains. Um, I, as you know, in the book publishing industry, and there, that is a space that actually could use a lot more um, in terms of, you know, analytics and data, and like even at the basic level, not even using artificial intelligence. Um, the, you know, that said, there are people who are thinking about using AI for recommendations, but there's still a lot more in terms of the marketing of books or um, algorithms around, you know, independent bookstore, like what, what independent bookstores are doing to put books in the hands of, of buyers, right? So all that, I think when you look at an industry like that, it, that has traditionally not had a lot of technology and AI, um, and, and in some ways, like actually shuns technology and AI, um, then you're yeah. at one that you know there could be a place to hack. Um, but but on the other hand, it's going to be challenging because you know there is a reason why independent booksellers have intuition around putting books directly into people's hands, and I think that's really hard to replicate in an algorithm. Okay, cool. So books, the sort of book selling world as one potential example. I know you had another in mind here, Abigail. What's another maybe interesting one where those efficiencies could really matter competitively? Right. So, um, and, and I don't know if we categorize this exactly as efficiencies, but translations, for example, um, you know, we've been doing translation work for a long time, again, without AI, but it's getting better and better and better. And so when you think, when you take each of these um, areas of development in AI and you project them out, and think about like, okay, what could be the ramifications if translations were as good as human translation, then you can scale up a global workforce, right? You can hire people in other countries and it could be almost seamless in terms of working with them and it really reduces friction between cross-cultural communications. And, and you can hire, you know, anywhere that there's an inexpensive workforce or, or the right skill set that you're looking for. So I think it's really exciting to think about like, how do we, how do we, you know, imagine down the road um, take take the existing technology you have now and and scale them back. Like, what what would it look like if they were perfected as they will be at some point? Yeah, well, and I I think we're seeing already so much of that you know translation space uh, being kind of conquered by AI. We're also seeing all those translation companies with their crowdsourced workforces being now used and marshaled in ways that are you know, labeling data sets, right? Not just translating documents, but now these big distributed workforces of people that understand multiple languages can be used to do all kinds of other stuff to help to train AI systems. I'll, I guess I'll run an idea by you. We talked about translation. You mentioned efficiencies. You mentioned recommendations. Um, when, when we talked to VCs uh, a couple of years ago, we did a, a big series in, in the Bay Area talking to folks at Floodgate and Excel and a whole bunch of the big firms. One of the big takeaways, and, and you may or may not resonate with this, was that it kind of feels like the moat, the genuine um, kind of competitive advantage of AI is in sort of really dominating data in a relatively, maybe starting with a narrow space to the point whereby you have so much of that kind of data um, that uh, it's really, that, that your product can improve really quickly and it's really difficult for people to use a product that isn't yours because of how much better it is. And in so doing, you're going to collect more data because you have more users, and you can just spin that flywheel until you pull an Amazon or pull a Google. And of course, it doesn't have to be that big. You could do that in, let's say, you know, HVAC equipment. If you could implant IoT and HVAC equipment in, in uh, office buildings, and you could kind of data dominate, um, you know, electronic efficiencies within an office building, then that could be like a, you know, a mini sort of super moat 
with regards to AI. Um, we've heard it articulated that that kind of like real pulling ahead in terms of data collection in very niche, beginning with niche areas, is kind of the beginning of, of a genuine moat as opposed to, okay, everybody's a little more efficient. I don't know if I have an advantage or not. Um, what's your take on that? So that's a really interesting idea. I mean, I think I certainly have, you know, we talk a lot about the impact of data and financial services. Like there is no way a human trader can compete with AI and, and all the financial data that it has access to and processing that. Um, healthcare is another big space where, again, it, having processing the data there is a huge advantage and, and individual mom and pop shops are not going to, individual like doctor you know, facilities and practices, they're not going to be able to compete. Um, but so it's interesting you're talking about an idea of efficiency being scaled up so much that no one else can can penetrate. Well, efficiency or, or just the, the functioning of the product, right? So I don't know if Amazon, Amazon I'm sure is, is more efficient, um, but but um, it's also just better recommendations, right? My user experience is better. So let's just say the efficiencies weren't improved. They've seen so many buyers like me that they know exactly what my checkout flow should look like, what my upsell should be, my email follow-up campaign should be, and they're going to make more money and satisfy my needs better just from user experience and not even necessarily efficiencies. I guess that's the, the VC's dream, um, right, right. just to clarify. Yeah, so you know, in those cases in, in the VC world, I think what you find is if you have first mover advantage and there's a natural marketplace, then you you know then you become like an Amazon or an Uber and Lyft, um, and you can create a marketplace from that. I, I don't think that there's so many. I see so many technologies like duplicative across startup companies that are all pretty good. And so I, I don't know that there's going to be one technology that pulls ahead of everyone else, but being able to move faster and out execute your competitors is probably more the key than actually that having the perfect technology. Yeah, I, I think it's it's unlike most folks are not going to pull an Amazon, that's for sure, even within their specific um, niche. Maybe in talking about, you know, you've mentioned a few times, Abigail, and I think it's a great point, that a lot of this really depends on what sector you're in, um, what, what kind of industry, what the business dynamics are, what the norms are there, what customers want. Um, you know, I, I imagine a lot of our listeners who might be thinking to themselves, geez, you know, when I look at my own business and I try to think about which of these applications, um, you know, might provide a competitive advantage, on the one hand, sometimes these people just need a low-hanging fruit application to kind of get used to what AI looks like in an enterprise, to kind of get, get their bearings about how this stuff works because it's so different. But maybe at some point they evolve a, a bit beyond that and, and they get to the point where they say, man, where can AI actually sort of pull us ahead? If you're going to kind of go through a thought experiment with, with business folks about that, if they're brainstorming on that topic, where would you guide them? So, I, you know, I think it's going to depend on, again, and you said it too, it depends on what industry or the size of the business. Um, I think, you know, obviously a lot of the tech companies in Silicon Valley are already thinking pretty hard about this. But if we're talking about a, a new a company that's not really that familiar with AI, you know, in some ways, I think it's great to get educated about what's going on in the field. Like they should be familiar with, um, you know, if, if especially if they're a data heavy um, company that they're, you know, bringing in someone who can consult on like what is what are ways to potentially exploit your data for money or exploit your data for efficiency gains. Um, but, you know, also being aware of like what are the applications of AI? I actually feel like that's an easier transition. Like what does it mean to use a Google Home as part of, you know, something like a, a smart chatbot and as part of your business and, and not necessarily have to go to the, the fundamentals of AI, but like thinking ahead to the next step. So robotics, like, uh, you know, there's advances where yeah, OpenAI has a robot hand that can now solve the Rubik's cube. So, what what does that mean? You know, can you can you adopt those types of technologies in your company? Um, natural language 
processing like that that's huge like you know can how can we make more efficiency gains in in your customer service or in maybe processing documents that you're using humans to do right now so i think maybe focusing more at the application level and less on the technology would probably be the easier entry point for like companies that are just not familiar with with ai and what's going on in the space and i guess that kind of leads us into our next question which is uh more of a kind of foundational question, which is how business leaders can set themselves up to have a competitive advantage with with AI into the future. Again, we're very much kind of against the uh, hammer looking for a nail philosophy. I think uh, we've would never tout the, the the prevalence of the idea that we should um, run around looking for places to plug in AI because that's cool. But if we can find a fit, if it's the right technology to gain an edge in certain critical initiatives, that's that's important. But of course, enabling AI. Um, as, as I'm sure you've seen in plenty of your work, it involves kind of a lot of ground level work. A lot of you had mentioned educating yourself, so getting leaders up to speed. It involves improving data infrastructure. It involves a lot of different things that enterprises or even mid-sized companies um, aren't, aren't yet used to. If you think about what leaders kind of should be doing now if they want to be able to take advantage of AI as it matures and as they mature, what are some of those foundational things uh, that might not involve rushing into AI, but would help them set, be set up for success later on? So I, I think the, the role of the chief data officer is growing. So I think that's one thing to consider. Like, Would my company benefit from a chief data officer, someone who's really committed to thinking about exploiting the data? Um, and maybe there's already a person existing in your company who can take on that role, or maybe you hire an outside consultant to take a, a good, hard look at what you have going on. Um, I think thinking about examples of the past, like it's not even a competitive advantage, but Wikipedia wiped out Britannica, Encyclopedia Britannica, right? So like, are you in an industry that potentially could, you know, face some a similar threat? And, you know, Wikipedia's application of the internet, it's not, it's not actually, you know, you know, next gen. So I think that's kind of what I mean when I, I say think about like the applications that are coming out. I think it's worth delving in, you know, thinking about where AI is going in decision-making and strategy, game theory, uh, so, for example, Google DeepMind and OpenAI have both, um, you know, solved world world champion chess games, Go, um, AlphaGo. Uh, there's uh, OpenAI has, um, uh, it's called, I think, Open5, and, and they, they, they have actually beat a team of five, five on five with Dota 2. So these are very complicated strategy games involving real-time interaction. And, and a lot of these problems that they're solving are actually more complicated than a lot of the business challenges in the real world. So if I were to point business leaders towards one area to think about, it, I think it would be around that decision-making game theory. Like how is your competitor going to have better decision-making because of the AI and data applications that they're using? Yeah, so kind of brainstorming on, you know, from that strategic decision-making level, where can AI give us an edge? Where might our competitors have that? And then also you had mentioned assessing our data assets, having somebody who can, you know, really mine and take account of and assess the health of and the accessibility of our data assets to help bring some of those ideas to executive leadership and present them uh, as, as worthwhile ideas. I think for both of those, there's a really important tie to something you mentioned um, earlier on about kind of getting up to speed, getting educated on this technology. Um, data scientists obviously need to get educated on the industry sectors they move into. If you get a PhD in AI from Carnegie Mellon and you go into a 
you know, auto parts manufacturing plant. It doesn't mean you understand auto parts manufacturing at all. You now have a learning curve. When it comes to a person that's used to auto parts manufacturing, they now have a learning curve when it comes to what AI could do, where AI could be useful. In terms of making that osmosis happen faster, which, which you mentioned before, and both these topics you just brought up, I think, kind of hinge on that. What's the practical advice? You know, is it going to events? Is it you know, studying, you know, higher level competitors, um, you know, what do you see that's kind of working for folks that want to get up to speed? Yeah, I think it's a combination of both. I feel like conferences now are an entire industry of their own. And there are really good conferences out there. Some are more 101 than others. But I think finding conferences that are specifically industry focused in your in your areas is always a good one. And maybe if you're trying to get up to speed, you can go to more you know, more general ones. I So I'm going to NERPS next week, which is a fantastic research conference in the space. And for me, I, I enjoy going to this one in particular because I get to see the breadth and the depth of, of all the research that's going on in the field. But I don't think, you know, if you're running a supermarket, like you need to go to a conference like that, but I think you seek out the ones that are, are relevant to you. Um, I think self, I think studying is great, but again, you know, it's, I, there's a lot of really good writing that's starting to be put out, popular, journals, magazines. And so I think at that level, that's probably finally Forbes, obviously Fortune, they put out really great material. And then your podcast is fantastic. I thought you have a lot of really great, great thinkers here. I do think it's harder to get this information um, from, you know, a lot of it is, is changing very rapidly. So it is good to be in real time conversation, like, like your podcast and, and, and public, like more frequent publications. I, I think by the time, by the time AI books come out, like there are obviously very many good ones out there. Um, a lot of it's moved on. So that's something to be aware of. Certainly. And, and I think, you know, it's it's challenging, as you had mentioned, to stay ahead of that, you know, science. Also, I would imagine most folks in the functional business leader category, you know, might not go to a, you know, I, I, they used to call it NIPS. I don't know what it is now. Um, you know, they're, they're not going to uh, care about that kind of stuff. Um, they're going to be interested a little bit more in kind of sector-specific things. But I think you bring up a good point that maybe being able to find digital channels that are reliable, consistent, um, you know, and, and can educate, you know, you from a business perspective, be relevant to your sector could be a nice place uh, to start as well. I guess the to nutshell your, your kind of point on setting this foundation, just to see if there's maybe anything else you want to add as we wrap up here, um, one of them was to sort of assess where might data, where might AI enable us to make better decisions, to move faster, to, to, to uh, yeah, steer the business more effectively, given our data, given what AI can do, and maybe what could that be doing for our competitors and how can we sort of you know, compete with them? That was one point. A second one was kind of that taking account of data and having somebody accountable for that job. Um, any other kind of last points? If you think about folks tuned in who are really saying, ah, what can I do to set myself up to, to win with AI when I'm ready? Anything else you want to throw in there before we wrap up? So I would say, you know, I would, I would reiterate the point that decision-making is strategy, getting good advice in that space, especially if you know, and that can be market strategy, it can be go-to-market strategies and product strategies, like all that I think could be very powerful. Um, and you want to make sure that your competitors aren't aren't outmaneuvering you in that sense. Um, but I think the key areas to think about are the, the areas that are are really hot right now um, and, and potentially ripe. So natural language processing, vision recognition, reinforcement learning, robotics, um, and then, you know, the game theory. Like I think all this, these are the key areas that are, are Kind of at the leading edge and the more you know about them the more you'll be able to think about and make those connections about how they can apply to your to your current business 
Cool. So I, I I like this kind of last point here. It sounds like what you're saying is the areas where AI is really has traction now, where there's real teeth, where these applications are developing quickly, those kind of capabilities, tune into those. Tune into what's moving quick um, because that might be what helps you kind of stay ahead of the pack. Right, right. So maybe not even so much as quickly, but they've just, they've, they're further along. Right, they've they've advanced in their space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're more established capabilities that have use cases that seem more plausible. So why not begin there? Because that's maybe where you'd find the plausible advantage. Right, right. And you know, I, I would say point to your attention, especially to what is what is the power of deep learning. Um, that's for your data scientist, your chief data officer to think about. Um, so, for example, um, Google DeepMind has a. Um, a a product um, that's they were able to solve the protein folding problem, or they're, they're sorry. Let me let me start over on this one. So, yep. So Google DeepMind um, has a, a product called AlphaFold, and they are have come very close to solving the protein folding problem. That's a research problem that's been around for forty years, and they the, their program was able to solve predict accurately predict the protein structure based on a sequence of amino acids for something like twenty three out of forty five. Um, compared to like their human competitors, which are only able to predict three. So in this case, it would be a, a case of Wikipedia wiping out Britannica. Um, and and so that is the kind of thing I think it's important to be thinking about that for your industry. Like, okay, who are the big players moving in, in AI developments in the space? And could that potentially impact my ability to compete? Cool. So thought experiments for those of you who are tuned in. Abigail, thank you so much for being able to share your ideas here on AI and industry. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So that's all for this episode of AI and in Industry. Again, if you're interested in applying any of the AI approaches that Abigail talks about in this episode, be sure to go to emerge.com, that's E-M-E-R-J.com slash B-E-G-1 for a beginning with AI uh, free PDF report. This is about an eight to nine page report on essentially what it takes to get started with NLP, with machine learning, with actually seeing real traction in the business environment with those technologies. So that's emerge.com slash B-E-G-1. Next Tuesday, uh, we're gonna be speaking with someone else who is a VP of AI at a very large company, CBS. In fact, uh, we've never interviewed anybody from this domain, but the media world has a lot of interesting AI applications, and so you're going to want to stay tuned in uh, as we dive in next Tuesday. So I look forward to continuing our theme on the competitive advantage of AI here on AI and Industry.